Sonia, the Macbeth it happens. George Stady Huberman is a philosopher and art historian. He is a lecturer at the School for Advanced Studies in Social Sciences in Paris, where he explores the links between images, words and politics. After his early work on photography and hysteria, Didi Huberman has gone on to publish more than 30 books about history and the theory of the image, exploring examples that range from the Renaissance to contemporary art. Sunia talks to Didi Huberman about the problems regarding the way in which we see and interpret images, a problematic issue that stems from the definition of what an image is and from the hierarchy that has historically been imposed on the dialectic between words and images. Words and images. At the time of the structuralist movement, uh, all the question was word, image, what is the first, what is the best. We cannot escape if we stay in this question as a question of hierarchy, truth. Uh, the first things to say should be every image is accompanied by words. Every word has an aura of images. If I say, or if you say, uh, I don't know, breast, immediately you have an image, I have mine. So, the problem is not to make comparison, paragone, uh, you know, the, the famous uh, aesthetic debate in the Renaissance. What is best, poetry or painting? Painting or sculpture? In the very precise sense of the term, they are academic questions, because they were born in academies. So... Let us say that uh, I cannot work without image and I cannot work without <laughs> words. I spend uh, half of my time making images, scans, photographs, uh, making ar arrangements, editing, uh, atlases of images. I have, uh, of course, uh, like you, probably thousands of images in my computer. And when I begin a project, to, to write a text, most of the time I begin in putting the images on my table in a certain order. This is the first editing and after the text uh, comes. But it's impossible to make a hierarchy. You know that I like very much Abi Warburg. He invented this discipline called iconology. Iconology. So, images, words. And he said that uh, he was looking for this very strange area where images and words are in relation of co-naturality, coalescence. It's a strange uh, area. You know that when you were dreaming, you dream with the uh, images which are most of the time plays on words. For example, I remember uh, an example, uh, this is in French, the example, somebody is dreaming of an elephant. And in fact, it's clear that he is uh, Fred, that his wife is trompé, comment vous dites trompé? He uh, has an affair with another man. 
And in French, you say the wife trompe the husband, but trompe is also <laughs> the nose of the elephant. So, <laughs> so there is an exchange all the time between what we call words and what we call images. And there is an exchange also because there is never one word, there is never one image. There are only montage, montage in the plural, montages. Science and symptoms. The question is this one. When it happens something very spectacular, like a crisis in a body, hysterical crisis, for example. It's visual, you know, Louise Bourgeois, for example, she did this wonderful uh, sculpture dealing with the hysterical crisis, for example. It's very, very spectacular. Before this visual event, everything depends on what you are searching, what you are waiting for. Either you are waiting for, I would say, an identification of what you see. It means that you are looking for a sign. This is a crisis. Oh, look, it looks very erotic. Probably it's the sign that this woman was raped by her father, ta 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 This is, you, you read this uh, every day, every page in Charcot. There is a visual event and it's the sign of something very precise, which is identified. We can say, look, she's suffering in an erotic way, Therefore, this is the sign she was raped by her father. And there is a guilty, the father. This is a sign. And uh, many art historians are in front of uh, paintings, for example, in such a way. So they look at a painting, a picture, and they find a detail and they say, oh, this detail is the key of the work, and it's a sign that ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. Carlo Ginzburg wrote a very famous piece. The same year, Rosalind Krauss wrote a very similar piece about the index, indexicality. So Ginzburg wrote this famous piece on uh, indexicality, telling that in the 19th century there was a very important epistemological shift towards the question of index. And the heroes of this were, in his discourse, uh, Sherlock Holmes, Giovanni Morelli, an art historian who was proud to identify this is Perugino, no, this is Raffaello, just in the way the painter uh, represented the ears or the fingers or the... Okay. And Sigmund Freud and Abi Warburg. I don't agree. I think there is a very important difference between this research of a solution, you find the guilty. When Sherlock Holmes looks at the dust in a scene of crime, thanks to his observation and argumentation, at the end, 
what happens? We know the name of the guilty. And when we know the name of the guilty, it's finished. That's all. The story is over. For Freud or for Warburg, this is not the problem. For Freud, the question is not to identify daddy or mammy. When you say daddy in a psychoanalysis, you don't uh, finish the psychoanalysis. It's not over. It's just the beginning. The contrary. What is important is the network of many, many, many things. And therefore, you are not in front of a sign of something. You are in front of symptoms, which is a different model of many, many things. So there is a complete difference between this use of sign and this consideration about symptom. For me, it was absolutely crucial to establish this distinction. Knowledge and not knowledge. I remember that I finished my first really theoretical book on art history. The name was Devant l'image, in front of images. And I said, it's important not to be afraid of knowledge, because many people in front of images or art said, well, it's not knowledge, it's pure emotions, pure epiphany, pure so la 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 la. And uh, this is a kind of religious uh, discourse in front of art. I think that uh, many images and especially artworks are also a way of knowing the world. So when I did this exhibition Atlas in Reina Sofia, it was about art as a way of knowledge, non-standard knowledge, but a knowledge. So don't be afraid of knowledge, but don't be afraid of not knowledge. Georges Bataille is a theoretician, so to speak, a philosopher of not knowledge, le non-savoir. So don't be afraid of knowledge and don't be afraid of not knowledge. Try to make a kind of dialectics between the two things. Being and value. There are two different uh, use values of uh, the word is. One is uh, linked to the present, the other is ontological. And the is of the ontological level is the ease of the generality. Generally speaking, you are a human being. So regarding the problem of images and after um, considering, for example, the way in which uh, Roland Barthes was trying to do an ontology of photography, what is a photography in general? Not this one. When Barthes is in front of this one, he says, mm, I see something you didn't see. Uh, look at this detail. The is is circumstantial and um, the result is the punctum. Okay, But the is of the photography, the ontological one, I think Bart failed completely. Not because uh, he was not a good uh, ontological philosopher. It was just because I think uh, it's a false problem to try an ontology of images. And it's the reason I refuse to give you a definition. If I give a definition, I give a program. If I give a program, 
I put images in jail. If you say, what is it in the ontological sense, immediately, because we are in a um, sphere of hierarchies and values. For me, it's just a false question. It's just a false problem. You can spend your life <laughs> without result looking for criteria of what is a correct image or a not correct, what is an art work or not. It's not my problem. Definition and comparison. I never define. I just compared. That's all. The editing itself, putting images one with another one, is the best way to interpret images. So when I am in front of a Vermeer painting, perhaps the best for me to express what happens to my eyes, my brain, my heart, uh, my body in front of this image is to say, mm, it's like a butterfly. <laughs> but of course, I tried to write a whole book <laughs> to explain why a butterfly, because a butterfly is something with the wings, uh, with the movements, with the apparition, disparition, uh, symmetry, false or real symmetry, etc., etc. Et and it's also the reason that it happens, not all the time, that a poet playing on words is able to make visible some things in a painting which was uh, impossible to see before. It's uh, Jean Genet, for example, who wrote a wonderful piece on Rembrandt. So uh, the question is not to define. The question is perhaps to try to describe. And when you describe two problems, to be very concrete, very close to the material aspects of what you see, but also since everything you see is pre-configured by phantasms, don't hesitate to compare or to make associations of images or ideas. What I call floating attention. You must be precise when you describe, but you also, you must have floating attention. If I have a phantasm, it does not belong to me. A phantasm is a very generic, very generic. Lost pieces and remains. Something is lost all the time in everything. In the book on Auschwitz, the leitmotiv, and Lanzmann didn't want to read this, to understand this, but my leitmotiv was, these images are just vestigia, remains, pieces. So, these images, the first thing they say to us is that something is lost, of course, of course. So, if you say, let us try to grasp the reality of Shoah. Okay, if you make an analysis, if you show an image, everything you do, you lose something. When uh, Lanzmann uses 
an absolute vocabulary with absolute words, which is very interesting, by the way, because he invented a word in a foreign language. I mean, it's a Hebrew word. And by the way, some specialists of Hebrew, like Meshonik, were able to show that the term Shoah, for what we are speaking about, was not good. Because Shoah is just a catastrophe. catastrophe. So every sign, visual, verbal, you lose something. It's not a reason not to use signs. At the contrary, it's a reason to multiply signs. So my purpose about this problematical relationship between images and the real, very problematic. The basis is something is lost. But beyond this first statement, there was a search to make the question more profound. And for this search, I needed images and many, 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 many texts. Overexposure and underexposure. When you have a camera and you don't understand very well how to make a regulation on the light, it happens that there is too much light. This is overexposed or not light at all, and this is uh, underexposed. I just say that you don't see something which is overexposed. And it's the reason I wrote this book on the fireflies, with the idea of the light of power, the TV show projectors, for example, or the political show projectors, and the light of the fireflies in the night. Okay. So the problem yesterday, today, is about the overexposition and underexposition of the question of emotion. But it's the same. If you hyperbolize, you overexpose. If you overexpose, you miss something. And the same if you refuse to see. So the good question is, what is the good distance? What is the good light to see something? The answer should be, you must produce variations. You must move. If you want to look at sculpture, you must move around the sculpture. The same with the light. You must change the light on an object to better see it. The visibility of an image is made of interconnections of heterogeneous times, what I call anachronism. Aesthetics and politics. The aestheticization of politics is everywhere. It's not a specificity of fascism in the historical sense of fascism, or we can say that we are living in a state of fascism, which perhaps, um, I'm not sure it's the good term, I, I don't know. But the question is politicization of art, and this is a difficult problem, especially because art, uh, since uh, Benjamin, changed completely um, the status of art, changed completely. Remember that for Benjamin, there is a complete opposition between cult value and exhibition value. The problem today is that the exhibition value became a cult value. If uh, somebody is able to wait uh, five hours in the snow 
just to see one picture by Manet in the Grand Palais in Paris, it means that the exhibition value of Manet's paintings, it's a cult value of the exhibition. So the status of art changed a lot. It's a big question. And I have much, uh, many problems with the Biennales, uh, all these things. What uh, Benjamin and uh, after him Adorno thought that art was a kind of um, way to escape this alienation. Now it's more complicated because art is an alibi, a big alibi. Faut-il le dire J'accepterai que le funambule vive le jour sous les apparences d'une vieille clocharde, édentée, couverte d'une perruque grise. En la voyant, on saurait qu'elle athlète se repose sous ses loques et l'on respecterait une si grande distance du jour à la nuit. Apparaître le soir. Et lui, le funambule, ne plus savoir qui serait son être privilégié. Cette clocharde pouilleuse ou le solitaire étincelant ou ce perpétuel mouvement d'elle à lui. Jean Genet, le funambule, 1958.